Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Children are always learning, and yes, they are also often making mistakes. Whether they're fighting with their siblings, tantruming about bedtime, missing the bus, forgetting their homework, or talking back to you, it seems like there is a constant need for correction, for apologies, for do-overs. At the same time, there are all kinds of parents and teachers out there who witness such mistakes. From people who watch children act out or mess up and punish them or deliver punitive consequences immediately, to those who are incredibly permissive, who see children do something undesirable and simply turn the other cheek and say kids will be kids. Many parents and educators fall somewhere in between or vacillate between the two extremes of punitive and permissive. Of course, most parents and teachers are just trying to figure out how to raise children who are kind and responsible, cooperative, and self-disciplined. But what if I told you that there are many parenting and teaching skills that we can talk about right now that are non-punitive and not permissive, but would help children learn self-discipline and responsibility and problem-solving skills, helping them to grow into adults who can use these skills throughout their lives? Whether you are trying to get the kids to school on time, get everyone to agree on a movie for movie night, or get from place to place without someone yelling or kicking or needling somebody else in the car, we are all dealing with power struggles and frustration. Today, we've got positive discipline expert Jane Nelson on the show, and she's going to help us learn how to be both kind and firm, connect with our children, give them a sense of belonging and significance while helping them choose right from wrong. Dr. Jane Nelson is the mother of seven, grandmother of 22, and great-grandmother of 13. She is also the author and co-author of many best-selling positive discipline books, including Positive Discipline, the classic guide to helping children develop self-discipline, responsibility, cooperation, and problem-solving skills, and Positive Discipline Parenting Tools, which I've read from cover to cover. An internationally known speaker and parenting expert, Jane is a California-licensed marriage family and child therapist and received her doctorate in educational psychology from the University of San Francisco. I want to welcome you, Jane, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thanks, Robin. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you. It's just really, really exciting. But before we get into the bulk of the interview, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in teaching parents non-punitive discipline techniques? Well, the thing that still gets me up in the morning is uh, that how much these tools helped me. And I just love, there isn't a day that goes by that somebody doesn't tell me that it's changed their life. Mm. And of course, now positive discipline is becoming relatively popular in China and South America and Europe and just all over the world. So we have a lot of people out there training people in these tools. And 
I always ask the trainers, how many of you hear someone tell you that these methods have helped change their life? And they all say they hear it every day. So that's what the, the goal is, or the purpose of getting up in the morning. <laughs> well, it's so appreciated. We really need what you're teaching us. And when you're talking about positive discipline, you talk about children and how when we look at them and we look at their behavior, it's really just the tip of the iceberg. That what kids are displaying in their behavior is actually just a, a small piece of the full story. And what's underneath it is the important part that we often miss. The child seems to want attention or to have control or feels inadequate. I'd like to dis to explore what's really going on here by asking you to respond to some situations where you can expose what's beneath the iceberg. So imagine a child or teacher is doing homework with a, a, another child. Let's call him Sam. And Emma keeps intruding and interrupting. This often makes the parent and teacher feel annoyed, irritated, worried, or guilty, and they wind up going into a sort of reminding or coaxing cycle. So when we're looking at this iceberg, what's really going on here and what response can adult give that actually is a demonstration of positive discipline? Um, you know, Robin, I want to talk about that, but first I just want to make a disclaimer. Yes. You know, we're going to be talking about a lot of tools that are really effective. But I like to make it really clear that this does not mean that your children will be perfect. Oh, thank you. And it does you. not mean that you will ever be perfect. <laughs> really? Oh, no. <laughs> I, just, I just think it's so important to notice to note that because it sounds like, oh, but well, we have to do this and everything's going to be perfect. In fact, I worry about children who are perfect because they are not testing their power and who they are and finding out what works and what doesn't work. And, but what I love about these tools is that when I make a mistake, I can at least, when I've calmed down, I can recognize I've made a mistake and I've gotten very good at apologizing. And mm. kids are usually so willing to say that's okay when you apologize, they're very forgiving. But I, I just really like to make that really clear because otherwise it's so discouraging if uh, parents or teachers think, okay, I can do this and everything's going to be perfect because that's just not the way it is. No, because we're human. Like, <laughs> but, you know, that's why one of the, the, the main philosophies in positive discipline is that mistakes are wonderful opportunities to learn oh, because yes. kids learn from mistakes. We may learn from mistakes and it would be so nice if we could all start thinking, oh, wow, I made a mistake. You know, my kids, made that is so exciting because we can keep learning. Absolutely. So I just wanted to say that before I go back into the iceberg, and the thing that I like about the iceberg is I really like to explain that it's such a great illustration of how is positive discipline different from many other parenting programs, and that the tip of the iceberg represents the behavior. And many programs are based on behaviorism, and you know that that's where they deal just with the behavior through punishment or reward. And the, the thing that's uh, kind of sad about that is that punishment rewards work in that yeah. children will often behave differently to avoid the punishment, and they love rewards. But what um, positive discipline, and I know your parenting programs are about, is helping children learn to do the right thing when nobody's looking. Yes. And to uh, uh, grow up with uh, being responsible mm -hmm 
and capable human beings who also have their self-esteem intact. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I do want to go to the bottom of the iceberg for just a minute, and then we'll go we'll work our way up. But Perfect. the bottom of the iceberg is the basic need of every person, and we talk about children now, to belong and to feel significant. And so when they don't believe they belong and significant, then they often choose a mistaken way to find belonging and significance. And that's why we call it the mistaken goal chart, because they really want to belong. And when they don't know how to do that, they often choose what uh, Adler and Dreikers uh, called the four mistaken goals, which are undue attention, misguided power, uh, revenge, or giving up. Mm. And, and so if we take that example you gave of not doing their uh, homework, for some children, it might be because that's a good way to get your attention. Mm -hmm. And for another child, it might be because to show you can't make me. Mm. And for another child, it might be because I think my grades are more important to you than I am, and that hurts. And so I'm going to hurt you back, even if it hurts me. But that's one that a lot of parents don't recognize, and I think it's so important because of all this emphasis on grades today, and it's so easy for kids to get the feeling that grades are more important than they are. And then the fourth one is the child who believes, I can't, uh, I, I'm, I'm not really capable. And when you understand that these are the beliefs, you know, when you said the uh, behaviors at the top of the ice, iceberg, just underneath that is the belief behind the behavior. And that's what so many people don't pay attention to, is what is the belief that is motivating this behavior? And just from that example about homework, you can say, that there are at least four categories of beliefs, and it, it's not effective to treat them all the same. Mm -hmm. And and as uh, Dreikers, some people used to ask him, well, why do you keep putting children in these boxes? And he said, I don't keep uh, putting them there, I keep finding them there. <laughs> <laughs> and so even within the, the idea of a mistaken goal of undue attention, there are many ways and degrees of displaying that, or power, or revenge, or giving up. So. It, it, it's just the main thing is to help understand that while there is a belief behind this behavior and that the main goal is to find belonging and significance. So that's why sometimes we call this an encouraging model because it's always at the bottom of every tool we use is that uh, basis of trying to encourage the child to help them feel that belonging and significance. I love that you explained more about the iceberg. I think it's such an important image. And I, I find it really interesting the way that you are peeling apart how a one behavior that you see can be for all different kinds of reasons. It's so significant because we may jump to a conclusion of why somebody is doing it and it may be completely off the mark. So in a situation where a child is doing a behavior that is unwanted. Let's say a child is refusing to clean up his or her toys. And we see that and we think, oh, well, that child is just looking to be the boss. What is it that we should be doing instead of yelling or getting, obviously feeling challenged, defeated, you know, fighting back? or maybe even giving in and just walking over and putting them away for that child. What is, what is the reaction that we could try 
that would be more in line with positive discipline? Well, that, that brings up two other basic concepts that we have to uh, discuss. And one is that there are the four mistaken goals when children are misbehaving, but there are also age-appropriate behavior, mm. or when people understand that uh, sometimes it's not misbehavior, it's just typical behavior, mm-hmm. for, depending on the age of the child. So uh, so that's what, one thing that's really important. Now, all of a sudden, I've forgotten the other one, but it'll come to me. I'm sure it will. <laughs> but... Uh, so, so in in dealing with the behavior, we we in the mistaken goal chart, we have this whole column of feelings, and it is your feeling that helps you understand the child's mistaken goal. So, for if the child's mistaken goal is undue attention, you probably just feel annoyed, mm-hmm. or even maybe a, a little guilty. Uh, if the Power, if the mistaken goal is power, then you usually feel defeated or threatened. So, and if the child is revenge, you usually feel hurt. Mm-hmm. And when the child's goal is uh, giving up, then you usually feel also inadequate and don't know what to do. So mm-hmm. you use your feeling uh, to understand what the goal is. And then we go and talk about many of the different tools that help encourage that child. I thought of the other one. Uh, The other one is, when we talk about belonging and significance being the primary goals, lately I've really been talking about the difference between belonging and significance. Belonging, you could use, the other word for belonging could be love. Mm -hmm. And for significance, it could be responsibility. And kids really need this balance of love and responsibility. And one of the things I think that's been going on with today's parents is that they've been trying to do too much love, if there is such a thing as too much, and significance through love. But, they, but if children have love, but they don't have significance or they don't have responsibility, that's where we get the entitled mentality. Mm-hmm. And so in the name of love, too many parents are actually not teaching their children skills to be responsible and from that inner locus of control, not just to get the reward or to avoid the punishment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And you talk so much about, I love that in in your books, you talk about the word and being really powerful and when you're validating or showing understanding or redirecting um, when a child is refusing to do something that you've asked. Instead of using but or or not using it at all and just saying, telling them, you need to clean up your toys. You need to do your homework. So can you talk that. about that and? Like, how does that exactly work with the, the sort of kindness, firmness idea that you talk about? Well, that is one of the things that uh, to one of the five primary criteria of, of positive distance to be both kind and firm. Remember in the very beginning, you talked about how so many parents will be too permissive yes. or they'll be too strict. And there's always this big debate, either or. Mm-hmm. Should you spank or not? Or should you spoil or not? Not they don't say call it spoiling. But, but it's the and that's important. You need to be both kind and firm. And a, a lot of people who are drawn to positive discipline, it's because they don't want to do punishment, but they go overboard in being kind and they're not firm. Mm. And uh, so kind really means making the connection first. You know, like maybe it's to validate your feelings. Uh, Maybe it's to say, gee, I can, you know, see you're really upset. Could we talk about this later? 
and or do you need a hug or do you need just time alone it's just like that kindness and then the firmness like I know you're angry and it's not okay to hit mm. people or uh, I know you don't want to do your homework and it's time to do your homework mm. now mm-hmm. uh, but that trying to have that balance of kind and firm is not easy but here's the thing I always say parents want their children to control their behavior but they don't control their own. (laughs) This is so true. And I mean, I have to say, like, I can be guilty of that as well. Like, I can tell them that I don't, obviously don't want them yelling and, you know, saying mean things to people. And then I can find myself, you know, losing my temper. So, you know, it it absolutely happens. And I think a lot of parents and educators who are listening would agree that they can lose their temper and yet don't want kids to. And so this is where you can say, I'm really angry right now, and I need some time to calm down until I can behave better. (laughs) (laughs) I need need a positive time out. (laughs) Exactly. I think that we really need to recognize that because it's just ridiculous when we expect our kids to be perfect when we haven't attained that yet ourselves. No kidding. No kidding. Absolutely. You know, I, I really resonated with uh, something you said in the book, and I, I, I write all over my books, and one of the areas that I wrote on was when you said a misbehaving child is a discouraged child uh, who doesn't feel like he or she belongs. And you talked just, uh, just now about belonging and significant. Um, you point out a, a really important idea of connecting before you correct the child, and I'd love to hear more about that, and then we can put it into action. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, that also goes right along with the the kind and firm and with the belonging and significance. It's like connection before correction. And what I love, Robin, is that brain research now is verifying everything we've taught. That I think that one of the sayings that people love so much from positive discipline is, where did we ever get the crazy idea that in order to make a child do, child do better, first we have to make them feel worse. Mm-hmm. Classic. And that is what punishment is about. You make them feel worse. Mm-hmm. You belittle them, you humiliate them, you scold them, and then that's supposed to make them do better. <laughs> and even if they do better, it's with a real um, shot to their self-esteem. Of course, while you say so, it that way, Jane, it doesn't sound yeah, yeah. <laughs> so obviously and clearly. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it is really a crazy idea. None of us do better when we're put down, when we're feeling bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why the connection is so important. That's the the love part. And But the responsibility, children will also feel better when they know they're capable, when they have skills, when they, when they know that they... Uh, well, let me just say it this way. A child who believes that it gets too much love in the sense of being pampered really grows up with the belief that love means getting other people to take care of me. Mm. And that's hard on relationships, that's hard on anything So right. that in life. So what they need is that idea of I feel that love, that belonging, and I also feel significant through contribution, through responsibility, um, through skills that, that will enhance my life. So having that balance is very, very important. A lot of parents don't realize how much damage they do their children when they spoil them in the name of love it's so vital because you know often we talk about 
that we're raising kids to become responsible adults and we certainly don't want a pampered adult i mean like you know these children grow up we don't want our adult kids looking for everybody else to take care of them we want them to feel responsible and capable so that they can take care of themselves and you know robin when you talked about the iceberg and the belief that's just under uh the behavior these beliefs are formed very young mm. in in, in infants even they're starting to believe that some decisions are even made in the womb you know but it's like that children very early are learning that uh either love means being pampered or that love means i i get plenty of love that's very important but then i'm also not pampered i'm also expected to contribute and the sad thing about that is that children love to contribute when they're really young and then when we do too much for them just because it's faster or it's yes. easier or we don't want to watch them struggle, then it's really easy for them to say, oh, I'll just let other people do it. That, then I'll feel more loved. So let me, let's put that into action. You're, you're sitting down at the dinner table and you, you get up from the dinner table. It's now time to clean up and your child doesn't want to contribute. So how do we put that into action for those people who have in the past done all the work themselves and now would like their children to learn how to contribute to their family. Well, this, this just uh, goes back to one of my favorite, favorite, favorite tools is I think that any parent who's having, any family that's having problems, I always like to ask, are you doing family meetings? Love the family because, meeting. Love the yeah. family meeting. Yes, that was a great one. And they're just so important for so many things. Like the children are developing beliefs, uh, but they are also helping to come up with rules. Now, tools, uh, family meetings don't work if parents, all they do is lecture and tell them this is what's going to happen. But the, <laughs> the beauty of a family meeting is let's take cleaning up after dinner you you brainstorm let's say okay let's everybody brainstorm how we're going to solve this problem clean up and then you uh, agree what what really seems fair in fact we even have three r's of them and h you you develop you eliminate any that's not related responsible and and respectful to everyone and it's not helpful so anyway they come up with this idea that say let's say well we'll take turns or uh whatever they're going to do and Let's just say one child, it's his turn to clear the table or to load the dishwasher. And they don't want to. And then you just say, well, what was our agreement during the family meeting? And they say, yeah, but I've got to go do my homework. Mm -hmm. And that's that's when I have to tell you one of my favorite tools is the look. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the look is loving, nice try. <laughs> and, uh, and if they still don't want to do it, it's just like, what was our agreement? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if at that point, I, this is where, if they don't do it based on that, uh, because you, you do need to remind them. A lot of parents say, I don't want to have to remind them. I said, well, if they didn't need reminders, they wouldn't need a parent. So. <laughs> They'd be self-sufficient. <laughs> yeah, it's like you get the agreement, but then it's okay to, to remind them as long as it's kind and firm. And if they still wouldn't do it, then you, then you have to look at, you're, you're probably in a power struggle or you're in a revenge cycle, or you're into undue attention, and then you might need to just step back and say, okay, what do I need to do to heal that part of our relationship before I can expect them to keep their agreements? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And does that go back onto the family meeting schedule if, uh, if yeah, it's well, failing? For that, 
for that, I would probably just make my guess, and I would say, well, okay, well, I'm gonna, let's, we'll talk a little later, and then I would sit down and say, you know, I get a feeling that we're in a power struggle, you know, when you would say you'll do something, and then you don't, and I'm wondering what my part in that is. I wonder if maybe I was too pushy about getting you to agreement when you didn't really agree, or maybe I've been being too bossy or mm-hmm. <laughs> telling you what to do, and, and that's not what I want, because I want us to have a relationship of of respect for each other, love and respect. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just have to uh, take care of whatever's going on. It might mean, you know, one of our tools that we really love is spending special time where you make sure that there's daily time or weekly time for older kids that where you're really building that connection and that relationship. Right. But right. but also I do think that then some, sometimes the family meetings will say, well, this didn't work. Let's talk about why it didn't work and come up with some other ideas. Right, right. Okay, excellent. Yeah, the family meeting is a, is a great idea. And you talk about how to really set that up. For families who have not yet done a family meeting, what what are the first steps? Because I can imagine somebody is listening and saying, well, what do I just all of a sudden say we're going to have a family meeting and 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 sit down at the table or sit down somewhere and just start like what do I have to do so what what's like the beginning of that the 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 first thing is uh to start with compliments where everybody starts learning to give everybody else in the family a compliment and, and sometimes you might just do that for mm-hmm. a week or two mm-hmm. uh but then and you have an agenda when you introduce the agenda you let them know that we'll put this, you know, on the kitchen bulletin board or wherever, and anybody who has a problem can just go put your problem on the agenda, and then we'll having it there as a cooling off time, and then we'll talk about it at our regular family meeting. And it's interesting how often problems start to get solved just because everybody sees it on the right. <laughs> on the agenda, and they might. And and then when you start your family meeting, it's really fun to have a talking stick. And saying that the only people who can talk are those who have the talking stick, and you pass it around, and uh, you do that for the compliments. And uh, but giving compliments really teaches kids to start looking for the good things that they can say and to verbalize them, and then to say thank you when they receive one. And and they need daily, I mean weekly practice at this, and then they'll start doing it more at other times. But then. You just, whatever the problem is, you say, okay, we're going to go around with the talking stick and everybody come up with an idea and they can be wild and crazy because we'll have fun with whatever the ideas are and then we'll eliminate those that aren't practical, respectful, and reasonable. Helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then, um, and I would not try and do too many, but right. the biggest thing is that parents have to keep their mouth shut. They don't talk unless they have the talking stick and lecture. <laughs> <laughs> nothing will make kids want to not do family meetings and if they're just going to hear more lectures from their parents. Uh, I guess, could, what, what about if somebody's bopping the other person on the head with the talking stick? I think that's probably a time you have to, you have to say something. I'm just imagining in my house somebody holding on to the t- talking stick longer than they probably, you know, should because they're not allowing other people to talk or they are uh, pretending to bop their sister or brother on the head. <laughs> so. Well, then I would put that on the agenda. There you go. Say, what, what? And, you know, like at, at some family meetings, I know they've even decided on they would, they would set the little hourglass that nobody could mm-hmm. talk longer than they would have a 30-second or a one-minute right. hourglass. That's or. Good, yeah. 
and and if if they're bopping on the head, say you know what's happening and what do we need to do here to correct this problem? Right, right. Um, yes, because you might not be able to use a stick. You might have to use something else in that case. I use a bunny rabbit. Yes, exactly. You get to hold a feather. <laughs> stopped, yeah. Yeah. Do, you know, you know the book that you mentioned, the positive discipline parenting tools. Uh, the fun thing about that was that it was written with two of my children. Yes, I saw that. That's amazing. You know, one and they're who hilarious at the time, the and one who had younger children at the time. Yes. So, so to get uh, their their perceptions, but you know, Mary, uh, who was one of my. Uh, the one co-author and was the who had the young children at the time. But when when my kids, they loved the family meetings when they were four, six, seven. Mm-hmm. Then when they started to become teenagers, they started to complain. And Mary was one of those who would say, "Oh, this is so stupid. Do we have to have another family meeting?" I said, "Yeah, it's important to me." And one night she went over to stay overnight with a friend, and she came back. And the next day, and said that family is so screwed up. They should be having family meetings. <laughs> it's so, so, so you just don't pay too much attention to complaints, other than say, okay, well, let's put that on the agenda and figure out a solution. Didn't you and, also say in the? I think you also said in the book that, like, when she went off to college, she started using them as well. Oh yes, and she said that's the reason that she's still friends now with so many of her college roommates is because. <laughs> Instead of getting irritated at the one who always left their dishes and ate the wrong their food, they would have family meetings, roommate meetings, and they would talk about solutions that they could work together that made it more pleasant for them to live together. Right. See, that's like that's showing the skills that they learn now are skills that they carry into adulthood and help them to become responsible, self-disciplined adults. I, I love that it shows the, the continuity of, of all of that. Even if they complain. <laughs> and that reminds me of something else, um, Robin. Sometimes I ask parents, I say, how many of you have children who your neighbors or relatives, they tell you what wonderful children oh, they are, how yes, well-behaved they are. And of you course. say, what? Are <laughs> you sure? Little, little you blonde kid, we say, are you sure? <laughs> and I always say, you know, that's a sign of really good parenting because at home they feel safe mm-hmm. to test the boundaries and to figure out what, works and what doesn't work and but they're learning they're learning what you're teaching them because they go out into public and they practice what they've been learning so mm-hmm. it remember this is a at least an 18 year process it doesn't happen overnight yes we do all we, we're looking for the magic button but the it, it really is a multi-year process and you know one of the things that you talk about when you talk about the family meeting and some of these other skills is is that it helps to facilitate cooperation because we want kids to cooperate with one another we want them to cooperate with us and we want them to cooperate to get things done at home or at school yes so what encourages cooperation and what discourages it well i'm going to say two things first of all modeling again uh, Parents often don't model the very thing that they want to teach. Right. Instead of cooperating, they're making da- demands. They're giving lectures, edicts. You know. So, the, the, again, to sit down and have family meetings or one to one. You know, sometimes to sit down and have a problem solving with a session with a child. You know, here's the problem. Let's brainstorm for solutions together. What are your ideas? What works for both of us? 
uh, again, it's being both kind and firm, though. It doesn't mean that the child gets to call all the shots, but that you always work on solutions that are respectful to both parties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that, and again, sometimes I just cannot emphasize enough the family meetings where kids get the opportunity to practice on a weekly basis in classrooms. I think it should be a, a daily basis to have class meetings because these skills are as important as any other skills that they can learn in, academically. So just giving them a lot of practice and a lot of modeling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and we know that, that these are times when kids are, are learning. We know that kids are struggling. They make mistakes. They will make mistakes. And you talk about, I love that, strengthening kids' disappointment muscles. So that's right. like without rescuing or giving false praise or, you know, pampering as you were talking about. But what do you mean by this, these disappointment muscles and, and how can we do this and how does it help? Well, for one thing, we need to allow our children to suffer. Mm-hmm. Now, notice I didn't say make them suffer. <laughs> I saw that should, distinction in the book, too. <laughs> yeah, we should never make them suffer, but we need to allow them to suffer. And what this means is that sometimes uh, they, uh, they make a wrong choice. Well, I think one of my favorite examples um, is the example if a child comes home and say they've lost their baseball mat. Mm. And what goes with this usually is the parent will give the lecture. Well, how many times have I told you to be more responsible? If you would just take care of it, this would happen. And I'm sick and tired of you always losing things. And I'm telling you something, I'm not going to buy you another one. Oh, and people are sitting there going, how did she know that? She was like (laughs) sitting in my house. (laughs) Then the parent gives up and starts driving him to the car. The next scene is they're driving to sell, saying, okay, I'm going to buy you this one, another one this time, but it's the last time. And I really mean it. If you can't be more responsible, blah, blah, blah. It's almost like you know. It's almost like you know. (laughs) And what this child has learned is, okay, I just tune out the lecture and I don't have to be responsible. Mm -hmm. But what you would do if you were being a positive discipline parent is the child comes home and says, I lost my baseball mat. And you say, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yep, the silence is what's hard. (laughs) After you say, I'm so sorry to just keep quiet and just let them have their feelings. And they say, but mom. I'll miss the game. Oh, that must be so disappointing to you. Well, aren't you going to buy me another one? No, honey. But I'm sure you can figure out a solution. And, you know, nine out of ten times, the kid will find a solution. He'll either find it or he'll borrow one. And then later you could sit down and say, okay, you couldn't find it. You couldn't borrow one. Uh, What else could you do? And maybe work out a plan for them to do some jobs to earn another one. but stop the lectures and stop the rescuing and uh, allow kids to have their feelings. They're so good at figuring out things in an atmosphere of kind support Yes. and validating their feelings and then kind you know, showing that you're sorry, you really are sorry mm-hmm. that they lost it and then let them be responsible. They will be. Yes, absolutely. My husband thought it would be a really good idea when he wanted some new uh, hockey skates when he was little to throw one of his hockey skates away and tell his mother that he lost it. <laughs> and uh, she was not hip on that idea. And not that she knew exactly what happened, but she did know that she ha- he had wanted them. 
she went and she she kind of did a, a, a several pronged approach. One of which was she didn't give him the money or anything or buy him new skates. Okay, so that was definitely one thing, and he had to figure out how he was going to get another pair of skates, clearly a used pair um, that were probably not as good as the ones that he already had. Um, but he had already thrown away that other skate. So it wasn't like he was going to be able to retrieve it. And the other thing she did was uh, take all of his left shoes, except for one pair of white capizios, which he had to wear to school for uh, several months until he was able to purchase new shoes. So she sort of went in a, a, a different direction, but she certainly didn't coddle. <laughs> she was not one for coddling. And he did learn to take care of his shoes. But I know that the added aspect of taking away all his left shoes was probably going into the punitive idea that <laughs> might have been a, a little excess. But I think that what you're saying here where you are to allow them to figure out a solution and problem solve is, is a great way for them to figure out that they are capable and also help them to know what they need to do next time so that it doesn't happen again because they're experiencing how unpleasant it is, which must be those disappointment muscles you're talking about. Well, right. And in the beginning, you can problem solve with them. You can say, uh, let's just sit down and you come up with three ideas and I'll come up with three ideas. And then you can see which one works for you. And in the beginning, it might be hard. So you can say, well, what about this? Or what about that? It's like, you know, taking time for training is very important, a very important tool. The children can't be expected just to know how to do this just because we do know how, but they need to be taught the skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things we mentioned and then we didn't get into was this idea of timeouts because timeouts can be extremely controversial. Some say they're detrimental to kids' health. Um, when a child is overwhelmed, though, they often need some time. Their brain is in hyperdrive. There's no discussing solutions or problem solving when their, their brain is offline in that way. In my home, we call those brain breaks. I know in your book, you call these positive timeouts. So if you can tell us your philosophy about timeouts and what exactly a positive timeout is and how we use it, that'd be amazing. Well, first of all, a, a timeout is something that the child creates. And I think that they need to be at least four years old. Maybe some parents have told me that their kids have been a little younger, three and a half or so. But the idea is that they create a place that helps them feel better. You know, they get to say, would it have cushions? Would it have soft music? Mm -hmm. The one thing it cannot have is screens. No right. screens. <laughs> that's, where you, that's where you get firm. But, uh, you know, I've seen uh, kids develop uh, I have pictures. People have sent me pictures. And uh, one, uh, they just did a little fort uh, in the, with a table, um, card table that they put. Or one uh, child did a, uh, in the bathtub, they put all these uh, little rubber things of, to look like her seascape. So she mm. got her seascape one mother bought a big old refrigerator box and the daughter decorated it so she but then the whole idea is it's teaching them that sometimes they're uh, as daniel siegel explains it through the play that they flip their lid yes. and they need to wait until it uh, calms down and so 
But then you don't say you need to go to your timeout now. You ask, would it help you to go to your positive timeout? And if they say, no, I don't want to say, would you like me to go with you? Now, quite often a child will say, yeah, I want you to come with me. And why not? It's not about punishment. It's about helping them calm down. Mm-hmm. And I was just at this neuroscience conference in San Francisco where they were explaining why it is so hard on young children to be isolated. That things, something happens in the brain that is just not, um, well, it's not healthy. I don't know how else to say it. The neuroscience could say it better. Uh, so maybe go with them. And if they still are just feeling too bad and they say, no, I don't want to do that. Say, okay, well, I need to go to mine. And then you turn around and you go to your own positive timeout. And, and quite often they'll fall in and say, oh, no, I want to go with you. Exactly. <laughs> but it should be a choice to say, would it help you? Okay. Because, you know, we have other tools like the wheel of choice and where they have come up, they've made their own little wheel and it has a lot of choices of things they can do when they have a problem. You could say, would it help you to go to your positive timeout? Or would, you, uh, would it help you to find a, a, something on the wheel of choice that might help? Mm-hmm. But the other thing, Robin, we have an adorable children's book called J- Jared's Cool Space. And um, to, to read this to children, and even older children, eight or they like uh, it. At one uh, teacher had her kids read that book, and then they created their own children's book with drawings of everything. But it's about Jared being all upset, and uh, then he created his own timeout that looked like a box that was a spaceship. <laughs> and so learned that whenever he got out, he could go sit in his spaceship. Mm. And um, then later for his dad's birthday, he made him a timeout spaceship. <laughs> Oh. But this is inspiring to kids to realize it's okay. This is something I can create and that I can choose. So it's teaching self-regulation. Mm-hmm. And that's called Jared's Cool Down Space? Jared's Cool Out Space. Jared's Cool Out Space. I love it. Excellent. It's such a great idea because it, it helps those kids to create an environment that does indeed help them feel calm instead of saying, you need to go to your room, which may not make them feel calm at all and actually is counterintuitive. Uh, also, it's helping them to say, I'm making that choice, which puts them into more of control instead of making it so that you're in control, telling them what to do, which again creates the power struggle that they're fighting against. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah, so see, based on what you have just said, we say we want our children to learn self-discipline and self-control and responsibility. How are they ever going to learn that if we don't teach them the skills and give the opportunity to use them? Mm-hmm. And, and sending children to positive timeout is... Even if they've created it, it's still uh, uh, more like a punishment. You need to go to your timeout rather than would it help you to go to your timeout space? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh, besides, we, we ask them to name it something else. You know, like it's Jared's cool out space or uh, is it the escape or mm-hmm. <laughs> is it just your cool down? You know, whatever the kids want to name it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. said adults should have their own too <laughs> yes adults should have their own that's absolutely right i think we all need our cool down space my daughter loves to take showers when she feels frustrated you know she's 10 years old and knows like water hot water putting her music on that is all really helpful to her and i actually think that's amazing that she already knows what calms her down when she feels frustrated it does result in a lot of showers but 
<laughs> at least she has a good idea of what works for her. But um, you've also made such a good important point is that for children to know their own bodies and what works for them. Yes. Uh, it's like if we are too punitive or too permissive, they're not learning those things. Right. They're just always having to depend on outside uh, evaluation, outside support, whatever, rather than learning what about their bodies and what works for them and right. how to solve problems. Right, right. And you talk about, when you're talking about mistakes, you often talk about how we need to right the wrong once the mistake is made it's not that okay now go to your cold you can you, you, you do you want to go to your cool down space you want to do that there's some work that needs to be done after you know after the tantrum has exploded after the mistake is made and then after the cool down period there needs to be some kind of apology that happens that feels sincere and that addresses the issue so that we learn from it and we don't just let it lie so can you talk about the apology and what needs to be done after the situation has occurred? Well, uh, we have the four R's of uh, recovery from mistakes. And first of all, just recognizing that you made a mistake. And, and then to uh, reconcile, well, reconcile, which means to say you're sorry. And then to recover, to work on a solution. And see, uh, but... but the first two are so important to recognize the mistake and to apologize and then say, okay, now what can we do to fix it? And, you know, one of the things um, at, not at a family meeting, but at family dinners, I think that at least one night a week or everybody should share a mistake they made, what mm -hmm. they learned from it and how they fixed it if possible. Mm -hmm. So that again, they start looking forward to, oh, I get to share this mistake that I made and what I learned from it. And, what I could do about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it takes away the, the feeling that mistakes are, are terrible and to be avoided and to be embarrassed by. It makes it so they can embrace the mistake and realize it is a, a learning opportunity and simply an attempt to then get something going, get something correct, and then have an opportunity to try again. Well, you know, and I even remember one time when one of my uh, young children, I think he was only about or so stole some gum from the store and when he found that out and talked to him about it, he said, but they had so many, they had so many <laughs> in the store. I said, but uh, talk about him, well, how many of those packs of gum do you think that he has to sell before he can pay his rent and pay his employees? And, and so when he started helping him figure that out and I said, so what do you need to do? And he said, so well, I'll take it back. I said, do you want to do it by yourself or do you want my help? But it's like still, even for a little thing like that, helping children to understand it through curiosity questions, like helping them to figure out what happened, what caused it to happen, you know, how they can feel, what they can do about it. I, I liked your curiosity questions, that they're not accusatory and they're not to make somebody feel bad or ashamed, but simply exploratory, right? That they're just ways for the child to think through the problem that, that they're having so that they can come to a solution that works for them. Exactly. And that, that's why they're called curiosity questions. They're not called accusatory questions. They're called <laughs> curiosity <laughs> questions. And and you don't ask them unless you're really curious uh, to help the child figure out what happened, you know, what caused it to happen, how they feel about it. Uh, of course, do you want to hear my favorite story about that? I totally do. 
you know, I always tell parents, I say, don't ever hear these curiosity questions that we say as, as scripts. Uh, you need to add your heart and your wisdom and be in the moment so that it's not just sounding like a technique. Well, um, so one day when my daughter was uh, about in the ninth grade, I think she said, Mom, I'm going to go get drunk tonight at the ninth grade graduation party. And I just said, uh, oh, no. <laughs> why are you thinking of doing that? Tell me more about that. She said, well, a lot of kids are doing it. and It looks like they're having fun. I said, oh, well, what do your friends say about you now because you don't drink? And she thought about it. And this is one reason you know you're asking if you can see them think. And she says, well, you know, most of them tell me how proud they are of me and they're, they're glad they have a designated driver. And I said, well, what do you think your parents, will, your friends will say tomorrow after you do this? And she said, oh, they'll probably be disappointed in me. And I said, how do you think you'll feel about yourself? And she said, oh, I'll probably feel like a loser. <laughs> and then she said, I guess I won't. Mm. And, you know, people always ask me, well, what would you have done if she said, I'm still going to do it? I don't know. I'm just telling you a true story. <laughs> but I, I can tell you what I think I would have said if she said, I'm still going to do it. I would say, well, I want you to know that you can call me if you need yes, help. Absolutely. At any time of the night, you can call. And if you exactly. decide that you made a mistake, then uh, I, I will not judge you. I just want, want you to be safe. Which is the only reason she knew she could tell me in the first place, right. because she wasn't going to get the judgment. And so yes, exactly. And it was hard. It was hard. Of course it was. <laughs> of course it was. That's your baby. Oh my goodness. Well, I would love to hear your top tip. What would you like parents and educators and coaches to come away with from listening to you today about the reason why we should be using positive discipline or a specific technique that you absolutely would love them to use as soon as possible? Well, I can't tell you how many things went through my mind as you're talking about this, but you said one thing. Uh, I will say to me, it's because it helped me to enjoy parenting more. It's like, you know, I really wanted to be a parent and then I found out how hard it was and oh, all I knew how to do was vacillate between being too kind or too firm and I didn't enjoy it very much. So no. to me, the fact that it, really helped me enjoy parenting a lot more. But, but I would say if there's just one tool to remember, it's the connection to make sure the message of love gets through. And there's a lot of ways to do that, whether it's to validate their feelings, it's, uh, whether it's to give them hugs, to focus on solutions, to spend special time, you know, but that connection. But also then the response, okay, I can't say just one. <laughs> That's okay. Most people can't. That's okay. <laughs> but, but to focus on the balance of love and responsibility. And one of the things I think that too many parents are missing these days is the, the responsibility part. Mm-hmm. You know, they have all kinds of excuses, like kids have too much homework, they, so they can, don't have time to do things around the house. They don't. Uh, they can always get a job later, they can work, you know, it's like, no, they're making decisions now. Mm-hmm. They're learning now about uh, the importance of, of what Ad are called Gemeinschaftsgefühl, which means making a contribution to your family, to society. Right. And, and that it's just very important to teach kids both love and responsibility. Right, because this, this, your home is the safe haven, but it's also the training ground 
for when they walk out the door and they behave in real, you know, regular life when people are not their parents and they're not going to put up with them sitting down while everybody else does the work or, you know, making a mistake and not making good on it, you know, or learning from it. So we need our kids to learn the techniques that you're talking about so that they can function in the world in, in a positive way and contribute to society, not just to our family, but to society. And also to remember that who they are today is not who they'll be forever. Oh, that was it's such like, a good line. It was such a good line. I, <laughs> the, the, the child that you have to keep reminding to pick up their junk that they're leaving all over the place is going to grow up to be the mother who will be telling her child to pick up their junk, so. Right, and looking at you over the counter going, can you believe this kid? Can you believe this? They're leaving it on the countertop again. They're leaving it in the middle of the floor again. They haven't cleaned their room. Right. So, so, so important. It's, you know, it's funny because it's, it's like, you have two things running at the same time. On the one hand, you have this child how he's behaving now is not the way that he or she is going to behave later on in life, right? But at the same time, this is the training ground. So what you're putting in today is who your child will become. So exactly. there's like two things happening at the same time. I think it's right, right. Just, just don't expect it too soon. Remember, it's training, not perfection. Right, right. 18 years, 18 years. Okay, give me the resource of the week. Where can people go to get more information about you, your books, and all the wonderful things you've done and you are doing? Well, positivediscipline.com. Excellent. You know, the, the thing about positivediscipline.com where you can do a search you can search for just about any subject or challenge that you're having. And there's so many uh, podcasts and or uh, answers to questions. Right. But yeah, just positivediscipline.com. And it's also all where people, where they can take classes mm -hmm. because there are classes being taught all over the, all over the world now. So mm -hmm. that's kind of fun. Oh, absolutely. And they provide so many great tools. And that's why I think we all love your program so much and your book so much is that you're not just providing a philosophy about an iceberg or about, um, you know, firm and kind. You're giving very specific strategies so that we can use them to help our kids thrive and to help our families work better. So I just want to thank you for helping us today and providing a little bit more about your tools and your scripts and the, the great strategies that you used in your own homes that you've been teaching all over the world and that you've taken time to teach us today. So thank you so very much. Thank you, Robin. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram at drrobinsilverman. And I am going to be putting memes out of so many of the things that Dr. Jane Nelson just said because, well, isn't she quotable? So we'll just take those memes. We will put them out there for you to share on social media, because I'm sure you'd love to share them with your friends and your family and all of the people who are following you. And if you love this podcast, like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. So other people are going to learn about these outstanding solutions and use them in their own homes or schools. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to how to talk to kids about anything. For more information on books, 
books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. You may have heard things today and thought, oh, I should have done that differently. And that's okay, because you can. You can start right now. I see you, and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.